Amen. I heard a man preach a message recently. And uh, he went over to uh, the Old Testament and was preaching about those plagues in which the Lord was dealing with Pharaoh. And uh, he, made, he made this, he started, he, he used that verse where um, talking about the locusts and the, and the flies. And he said, um, in the last part of that verse, it said, uh, talking about the flies uh, there and the locusts. And it said, um, when the Lord removed them, there remained not a one. And he took off from there and he said, he's talking about God's a God of detail. And he was ta- what he was talking about is that the Lord um, he could have gotten by with four or five flies still flying around all of Egypt, you know. That wouldn't have, nobody would have doubted God's power if there were still three or four left buzzing around. But uh, he said that there, he made it a special uh, attention there in the scripture to say there remained not a one left. And he took off from there and started talking about uh, how important it was in various places uh, that there remained not a one. And he started with sin. There wasn't, there, not just one little sin is got in to defile you when God saved you, brother. <laughs> he got them all when he got them in. And uh, he, he redeemed you from all iniquity. And there remains not a single sin to defile me and keep me out of heaven. He redeemed me. He got them all. Past, present, future. Uh, ones I thought about committing. Ones I did commit. Ones I wanted to. Uh, God saved me. And when Jesus paid the debt for sin, he paid for all sins. Every single one of them. And uh, so thank the Lord for that. And he, he went on in various places. Man, I was just writing stuff down. I, 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 I thought that uh, that would just help me so much. Um, he was talking about at one point, I think, not one sin remained. I think another point was not a saint not be rewarded. And he went from, you know, so not one thing's left undone with the Lord. He's a God of detail. And uh, so thank God for the salvation that was sung about it as well with my soul. That's not well with me because of how good I've lived the Christian life. It's not well with my soul because of who I am. It's well with my soul because of who he is. And I'm going to read this to you because I think it's important uh, to help us. I think it's right in line with where we are. So you just bear with me. I, it might be a little bit boring to you, but I just, this stirred my heart. And I want to read this to you this morning uh, from um, our uh, brother Spurgeon. And so if you uh, want to call me a Calvinist for reading this from the pulpit, you're welcome to because I doubt I care much about your opinion. Uh, if you do that. So, let's read this here now. Most manifestly, the confidence which the psalmist here expressed was a divine confidence. Now, he's talking about uh, the psalm that said, The Lord will perfect that which concerneth me. He did not say, I have grace enough to perfect that which concerneth me. He didn't say, My faith is so steady that it will not stagger. My love is so warm that it will not 
never grow cold. My resolution is so firm that nothing can move it. No, his dependence was on the Lord alone. If we indulge in any confidence which is not grounded on the rock of ages, our confidence is worse than a dream. It will fall upon us and cover us with its ruins to our sorrow and confusion. All that nature spends, time will unravel to the eternal confusion of all who are clothed therein. The psalmist was wise. He rested upon nothing short of the Lord's work. It is the Lord who has begun the good work within us. It is he who has carried it on. And if, it, and, and if he does not finish it, it will never be complete. Amen. Amen. If there be one stitch in the celestial garment of our righteousness, which we are to insert ourselves, then we are lost. But this is our confidence. The Lord who began will perfect. He has done it all, must do it all, and will do it all. Our confidence must not be in what we have done, nor in what we have resolved to do, but entirely in what the Lord will do. Entirely. You listening? Entirely on what the Lord will do. Unbelief insinuates you will never be able to stand. Now this is important. I'm going to wrap this up and get back to Titus. Unbelief insinuates this. And you can, you can relate to this. I have these same feelings. You will never be able to stand. Has anybody uh, thoughts ever come up in your mind and say, I'm just not going to make it. I'm not going to be able to get through this. That's unbelief in our, in our heart, saying that. And it will insinuate to us we'll never be able to stand. Look at the evil of your heart. Well, that's a dangerous thought to partake of for too long. That's what unbelief will do and insinuate in your life. It will... Uh, cause you to look at yourself, the evil of your heart. You can never conquer sin. Is that what you ever, you ever feel that way? You get so overcome, striving against some kind of sin and some imperfection, some uh, uh, the weights and sins that so easily beset you, and you're striving against it, and it seems like you just you just can't overcome it, and you're battling and battling, trying to overcome it, and and it just seems like you you, you almost give up because you feel like it can never be done. I'm just stuck this way. You ever feel that way? You're not stuck. But this is what our, our, our unbelief and our hearts will tell us. Look at the evil of your heart. You can never conquer sin. Remember the sinful pleasures and temptations of the world that beset you. You will, certain, you will be certainly allured by them and led astray. Ah, oh, yes, we should indeed perish if left to our own strength. If we had alone to navigate our frail vessels over so rough a sea, we might well give up the voyage in despair. But thanks be to God, he will perfect that which concerneth us and bring us to the desired haven. We can never be too confident when we confide in him alone and never too much concerned to have such a trust. It is well with my soul, I believe is what he's saying. <laughs> and, 
And I'm not going to use that as an excuse not to do uh, my part uh, but, uh, and continue uh, doing my part. Uh, but uh, my confidence rests alone in Jesus and who he is and what he's done and what he shall do. And so when you get into those seas of despair and doubts and fears and all those things, it doesn't take you one, just one good long glimpse of Jesus to lift you up out of the pit. Amen. That's what, that's what God's done for my soul this morning. Just one good long look at him and I'm doing a lot better this morning. Uh, looking at myself and that, that's an awful picture in many ways. Uh, but uh, uh, when I get to see in him and find no fault in him at all and know that I rest in him, that'll give that shouting ground. Say, well, what are y'all shouting about? And what are you, I, I know this about you and I know that about you and I know this about you. That's all the more reason to shout for Jesus and rejoice in him because of who he is, what he's done, what he shall do. Uh, thank the Lord for that this morning. Titus chapter number three, and then we'll uh, continue on in our study here and looking uh, upon these scriptures here. And that's where people get, get us mistaken here. And having made those statements and, and having read that from the Spurgeon's devotional this morning is where it's from, Having read that, uh, and every one of us believe that, not just in my position, but in my practice, is all reliance upon Jesus and upon grace for uh, help and strength in our times of need. We have no confidence in self, right? I have no confidence in my flesh as a saved man. I have no confidence in my flesh as a preacher, as a Baptist. I have no confidence in my flesh. And uh, so uh, having read those things, I read to you this morning in all of our um, having begun in the Spirit, we are made perfect by the Spirit. So even in our progressive sanctification and our position both, it's all uh, by the grace of God. It's all because of Him and by Him. And by saying that, uh, you and I kind of know where our position is. But uh, we get accused often of being legalists. Well, because I believe the Bible teaches here in Titus 2 and verse number 11, the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteous, godly in this present world. Believing that doesn't make me a legalist, right? Believing that doesn't mean that I have done any damage uh, to the grace of God or the gospel of what Jesus accomplished for us. It doesn't damage what Spurgeon is saying there, uh, that our confidence and our reliance and our strength is in him alone and not in what we are. Uh, and so uh, uh, don't let anybody tell you any difference. So uh, you can have that same confidence in Christ that others have uh, without being a compromised liberal. Or a legalist, right? <laughs> well, I, uh, I believe that with all of my heart because the grace of God that brought salvation has teaching us to live holy, right? And so we seen that. We started out uh, with a healthy family, a heading to follow, an honor in the field, a holiness in the faithful. And we begun uh, looking, and I just want to say just a couple of more things in this matter of, of, of holy living. Uh, who gave him, so looking for that blessed hope, verse 13, Titus chapter 2, and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us. 
Amen. We were rejoicing in that in these songs who gave himself for us. The only way any of us are accepted, the only way any of us have our sins forgiven us is because of Jesus gave himself for us, right? That what to what end? That he might redeem us from all iniquity. Now, I, I'm just saying to mention a couple of things here, and I'll move forward because I know we, we got down through these verses, but I just want to make note of something here. He gave himself for us, comma, that he might redeem us from all iniquity. Nobody seems to have any problem with that, do we? When God saved you, he got every one of your sins, and you're as holy and righteous, positionally speaking, as God himself. Right? That's the only way God would accept you is that you had to be perfect. Right? And you couldn't be perfect. Uh, so God uh, puts you in himself. Right? So, uh, uh, so um, by grace you stand. And this is the true grace of God wherein you stand. All right? So he redeemed us from all iniquity. But look at this next part. And purify unto himself. Right? So these, uh, if, you, if you want to uh, make these completely about position and say that he redeemed us from all iniquity, that would be redundant. It would be a statement that's saying the same thing twice. And I don't believe that's what's being said here. I believe positionally he redeemed you from all iniquity. Right? No problem with that. But then positionally speaking now, he is pure, uh, to redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people. Now that word purify uh, literally means to make holy, right? And so when God saved you, he didn't just wash away your sins by the washing of regeneration, but also the renewing of the Holy Ghost, right? So not only did he wash away all your sins, that would be in the negative, so to speak, and the positive, he gave you his righteousness, right? He took your sins and put them in his account and gave you his righteousness and imputed it to your account. That's imputed righteousness. That's what it's saying here is he gave you, he redeemed you from all iniquity, and then he purified he made holy, he gave you his righteousness positionally unto himself a peculiar people. Now, now having said that, purifying unto himself a peculiar, peculiar people, if it was strictly talking about position when we get to heaven, how do you fit in zealous of good works? It would seem to be out of line with the verse, would it not? Because there's no good works in heaven once Jesus comes and Jesus and then the, the devil's loose for a little bit, the little season and uh, all those things happen, the great white throne judgment. In eternity, there's no need for your good works. There's no need for that. There were not any good works over there. Blessed are the dead that die in the Lord, yea, midst forth state of spirit, he rests from his labors and his works do follow him. Right? You know, there's not good works over there. There won't be any need of that. And so the good works you're going to do, you better do them down here, right? So if it was talking about just positionally, if God just saved you only to redeem you from all iniquity and to purify you positionally in heaven, then I have a hard time fitting in zealous of good works in eternity. Do you not? Well, what's a good work? Given to the poor. Would that be a good work? Anybody going to have money to give to poor people in heaven? Are there going to be any poor people in heaven? 
Would that not make it difficult? So what's being said here? Well, it's in line with what's being said in verse 11. The grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men. And it's not teaching us this uh, so that when we get to heaven, we'll be okay with denying ungodliness and worldly lust because they won't be there in heaven. There's not going to be a challenge any longer, a battle within yourself or out of yourself to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. That battle will not be there. That's what we're looking for. I want the adoption to wit that is redemption of my body. I want my position to come practice, and I'm tired of battling against my flesh, aren't you? Don't tell me eternity is going to be full of that. <laughs> what a mess. No, nothing enters there that will defile. So, uh, teaching us, the grace of God brings salvation uh, positionally, is also teaching us practically to deny ungodliness and worldly lust, to live soberly, to live righteously, and to live godly in this present world. So that would be in line, right, with verse number 12, and looking for that blessed hope, what to deny, what to do, what to desire, and on whom to depend, who gave himself for us. So... Redeem us from iniquity, purify unto himself a peculiar people. So if purifying yourself, if, if purifying, if to make holy, if, if that was strictly position, then, then how does that attach to peculiar people in this present world? It doesn't fit, does it? Are you going to be strange in heaven? Are you going to be above normal when you get to heaven? No, we're all going to be little Jesuses running around. God was so pleased with his son, he wants every single one of us just like him. Amen. Being conformed to an image, we'll all be the same when we get up there. Now, we'll know as we know, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about righteously speaking. Uh, there'll be no uh, need for your good works because there's nothing there to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and all those things. And you'll not need to be purified when you get over there. Pure from what? Made holy from what? And so if it's a peculiar people, he wants to purify himself, a, a special people, uh, then that must mean down here. Down here, God wants to save drunks and not leave them drunks. God wants to show the, transfer, the, the transforming power of the gospel to see that there is nowhere else you can go in this world and in the blink of an eye, your life completely change and do 180 degrees. What doctor can you go to? They don't even know what's wrong with half of us. They created vaccines for 0.3% of people even dying from the thing and that's going to be the one that ends up killing us is their vaccines. I'm thrilled I got mine. It just comes out. You're getting blood clots and headaches. And now they're coming up with something. The Moderna one's is giving people uh, heart problems. Thanks, Dr. Fauci. <laughs> but I said all that to say this. Where else in the world can you go? I mean, you tell me. Where else can you go and bow your head and silently say something to yourself to a God nobody can see and get up and your life be completely transformed? Where else can you go? But to Jesus. <laughs> and I'll tell you what a, what a statement it makes to a lost and a confused and dying ungodly world when men and women, boys and girls, can say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and get up transformed by the power of God practically. Right? There's nothing wrong with that. The gospel changes people's lives, right? And what God wants us to do is evidence that change. 
Right? He wants us to be an example to a lost world and to show them the power of the gospel. God can change your life. You know how much that helped me? When I, the man that witnessed to me, to know that God changed his life. I know what kind of power that would take. Now I'm not taking eternity away from it. We're dealing practically here, are we not? Is everybody okay? Teaching us tonight, God, in this present world, we're to live holy. And so uh, he wanted to uh, redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a special people, a called out people, a people that is not that, that does not look like the world. It's different from the world, right? And so, what makes us special? Well, I would say more purity and good works. Nobody can see me as any different uh, of what God did for me positionally, right? Redeemed from all iniquity, nobody knows that but me. Nobody else felt that but me. Nobody else has that peace but me when it comes to my sins being redeemed. And purifying themselves, a peculiar people. It is God's will. I don't care what fake Facebook theologian tells you any different. It is God's will that we live soberly and righteously and godly today. Right? So thank God for Jesus. And if you're trying to do that by your own power, isn't Spurgeon saying that if we'll get in a mess with that, right? We're still dependent upon him just as much in practice as we were our position. Right? To say, well, I can't overcome it. I can't lay aside these weights and sins. Oh, yes, you can do it. You just keep on believing God. Just keep on trusting God. God will help you. I don't believe God's left us powerless, young men, and just, and just uh, uh, blown about with every uh, whim of desire of the flesh. I don't believe that either. I believe God's given us power, has he not? To overcome in this world, not just in that one that's to come. And so that's why he expects us these things out of us who gave us uh, himself to purify himself, peculiar people, and to be zealous of good works. Now let me, let me say this before I go on to being zealous of good works. Turn into your Bible uh, and uh, let's look at just a couple of things here uh, that I, I wanted to look at. Um, turn in your Bible to Galatians chapter number 5. Just to drive this point home. Because you get people making statements because they just won't read a Bible and they keep reading Facebook memes. I mean, can you imagine somebody actually fighting against anybody wanting to live holy? Hey, I hope you can be as holy as you can possibly be down here. I want to do all I can to help you be that way. Don't you? I'm not going to tell you to uh, stop and, oh, you're taking it too far and uh, it's all about grace. What do you mean? It's all about grace, so I should just live in sin, go back to drinking beer? Is that what you mean? That's what they sound like to me. Well, just don't worry about all that holy living. You better worry about it. God commands it. Right? We got to worry about it. Because grace is teaching me that. And so, look at Galatians. Let's just do this quickly. I didn't get a chance to do this. 
But I wanted to do this just as quick as I can. Uh, talking about this uh, establishing, educating grace, but it's also enabling grace. See, uh, look in Galatians 5, chapter number 13, uh, because God has separated us out. Remember, people said, well, God's make you free. Yes, God's made you free to do a couple of things. Let's read them. Uh, the first thing he's made us free or set us at liberty to do is to serve others. Right? For brethren, you've not been called unto liberty. Only use not a liberty occasion. I'm sorry, Galatians 5.13. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But read this with me. By love, serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Isn't that wonderful? Now, we could go on and read these works of the flesh which are manifest and then the fruit of the Spirit which is uh, manifest in these things. Uh, and, uh, and they that are Christ, verse number 24, have crucified the flesh and affection and lust. Verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And so we are at liberty by the grace of God now to serve one another by love, right? And so I'm certainly not free to live in sin. That's not what's said anywhere, is it? So this verse says here that I've been called into liberty and I'm to use that liberty for not for an occasion to the flesh. You see that in verse 13? I'm free. Does that know what liberty means? I'm free for an occasion, for an act, for a fulfillment to the flesh. I'm not free to do that. I'm very capable of doing it. Amen. Very capable of it. But that's not what my liberty is to be used for. Well, I'm saved anyway because he redeemed me from all iniquity. Yes, and thank God for that. But that's not what your liberty is to be used for. Right? Okay. Okay, so uh, by love I'm set at liberty not to use that as an occasion to the flesh, but I'm to use that in order to serve one another. See, that's totally despite uh, the world and the flesh. It's this manner of love and serving one another. That comes by grace, uh, by God's great love. All right, and so turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter number 6. Romans chapter number 6. I just want to do this quickly just because I know many of us know these things, but it seems to be getting lost as we move on. I have grace to serve others and now I'm set at liberty to serve righteousness. Am I not? Look at verse of Romans 6, verse number 18. Being then made free from sin... Ye became the servants of what? Righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the weakness, the infirmity of your flesh. <laughs> you know what he's saying here? Because of how weak and wicked your flesh is. I'm going to speak after the manner of men uh, because uh, we certainly all have this problem. Do we not? As you have yielded your members servants to uncleanness. And to iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members servants to righteousness unto holiness. I don't think that's a, boy, this would be good to do. This is an imperative, isn't it? a command. You're commanded to yield your members now. So you had no power when you were in sin to yield your members to righteousness. You weren't the servant of righteousness. You were the servant of sin, Right? 
And that's all you could serve because you had no power to do otherwise. Doesn't mean you were as bad as you could have been, right? Thank God for a conscience. Thank God for other influences in our life. You could have been a lot worse, but you're capable of anything. And uh, so uh, the Bible says here now, talking to saved people, you are made free from sin. Not an excuse, not, to, uh, not just something to excuse it or to continue on. You became the servants of righteousness. So we serve others and we serve righteousness. So we don't yield our members. We don't have to. You can, but you don't have to any longer yield your members to serve uncleanness unto iniquity, do you? You don't have to. Well, I couldn't help it. The only problem with that is you're lying about it, Right? Yeah, you can help it if you're saved. don't have to. And that's not an attack. That's, that should be an encouragement to us. I'm not just going to give in, Brother Oliver. I was thinking about this uh, because I've had things in my life that have been more than difficult, continue to be difficult that God's working on me. And, and sometimes you just get the feeling of what's the use anymore. Just cause I thought I had that thing with. I was under the impression I was chipping away at flesh. If I get over this matter of anger, I won't ever have to deal with it again. <laughs> you're, you're, you're not thinking right. <laughs> It's a battle every single day. You don't chip away at the flesh and make it any better. It'll, it'll be just as wicked, weak and wicked when you get 70 as it is at 38, right? And, uh, and so I was under the impression I was taking a little bit. And so sometimes it feels like, uh, well, I, I overcame this. And then it, it comes back to haunt you. And you think, well, I thought I had that dealt with. No, it'll be a battle every single day of our life to yield our members to, uh, to righteousness and to keep the unrighteousness out of our lives, right? To yield. You know what that means, right? Me and you going through the same door. I'm going to step back and say, Chris, you go ahead. And I'm going to wait on, I'm going to, I'm going to yield myself to you. And so when he's talking about his members, his body members, he said, all you could do in sin was yield yourself servants of sin. And now you have the ability to yield these members uh, to work righteousness and to do good works, which is profitable unto men, right? To please God. Isn't that wonderful truth? I don't know why people get mad at that. That makes me feel bad. I would hate to just know. Wouldn't you, wouldn't you like to go to some of these meetings, uh, some of these where they tell alcoholics, you're always going to be an alcoholic. Uh, you know, uh, Brother Hartman, I was thinking about this. Wouldn't it, wouldn't it, aren't you glad uh, that you believed in a Jesus that could break the bonds of sin? Amen. Who you didn't have to be bound to any longer that would give you power to overcome it and that would give you the power and those shackles of chains that had you bound to sin. I mean, you take that message out of the gospel, there's a lot of despair in the lives of people. They say, well, you believe on Jesus and he'll, he'll, he'll do an imaginary work, but you won't ever notice it. You'll just still be a drunk and you'll die drunk. That's a kind of despairing message, is it not? I like going to them and say, look, I promise you this. I don't know, I don't know how it'll go. I don't know how you'll get through it. I don't know how long it'll take you, but this much I know. God won't only change you for eternity. God will give you the power now to break the chain where you can overcome it today. I didn't go through a 12-step program. I didn't go through a 24-step program. God gave me the power to overcome in the moment, the twinkle of an eye, when I bowed my head and said, God save me. Gave me power. It's wonderful. Thank you. Now, now it'll create, create despair in you to start thinking, well, why am I not overcoming this? I must not be saved. Anybody ever had thoughts like that? Boy, that's a dangerous way to think. That's why we'll get back into Titus and we'll see 
uh, some things here. Well, what I do want to make this statement, I'm not saying this in order to shame anybody. I'm not saying we have the power to overcome, and so you should be ashamed for not overcoming. That's not my purpose, if, if that's how you feel about it. What I'm saying that is to give you some hope. You don't have to stay stuck how you are. Just keep on trusting God. God will, did the Bible not say he will perfect that which concerneth me? Is that not what Spurgeon's whole thing was this morning? It was to tell us that the God of heaven begun it and he will finish it. Just keep on believing on him. I don't know in what time, uh, how long it'll take. You might do good today. You might have to deal with it again tomorrow. Right? Your flesh will always be wicked. Always. And, uh, and so if you, over, if you uh, get the win today, you might get a loss tomorrow. <laughs> but I'm not anticipating it and I'm not planning on it, right? And if it happens and I yield my members to unrighteousness unto iniquity, it wasn't because God shorted me some power in his salvation. It's because my flesh is weak and I allowed it. Who's responsible for the yielding? It's not the members that are responsible. Come on now, right? He's telling this to save people. So can a saved person yield their members to unrighteousness? Sure they can. Because that's what he's saying. He's not blaming the members. He's talking, this word yielding requires me to take action. I allow it. Don't allow your members to do this. Allow them to do that. Right? I bring my body under subjection. And I, 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 what, what Paul is saying constantly is I'm not going to let my flesh dictate and tell me where to go. Right? I bring it under subjection. Boy, that's a battle. And like I say, you might do it today and you might struggle tonight. You might do it this morning and then struggle by the time you get to church. That's how weak our flesh is. But that doesn't mean we give up the fight. I am not going to give in to this flesh. By the grace of God, I'm going to die fighting against it and trying to live for Jesus. Right? That's the kind of uh, determination we need to make. Is just, Lord, help me to just keep on battling, keep on fighting against it. Free to serve others. Free to serve righteousness. And then the book of Hebrews, uh, we won't turn there. Hebrews 9, 14, we're free to serve God. Isn't that wonderful? Now, say, how am I going to do this? Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. 2 Corinthians chapter number 9. This is just one of the many verses like this, but this will be an encouragement to you because it's not stuck within the confines of giving. It's dealing with giving here in the, in, in, in the chapter here. We're dealing with, with giving and offerings and thank God for that. But it's not stuck to that because I want you to read the language of 2 Corinthians chapter number 9 and verse number 8. It follows up on the heels now of verse 7. Every man according to the purpose in his heart, let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, but God love, for God loveth a cheerful giver. Verse number 8, and God is able to make all grace abound towards you that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to just giving. No, may abound to every good work. Right? Let's read that again. And God is able 
to make all grace abound towards you that ye always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. Preacher, I'm struggling. I can't overcome this. Let's come boldly to the throne of grace. You need some grace to help you, don't you? It's not, well, you ought to do better. You know better. You sorry, low down, no good for nothing. It's go to the throne of grace as quick as you can. God can help you overcome that. Well, God, I, I, I preach, I'm in despair. I'm in depression. I'm battling. I'm struggling. And I, I'm dealing with unbelief. And I'm dealing with fears. And sounds like you need to get to the throne of grace to get you some enabling grace to help you in this life. God's able to make all grace abound towards you that you may have all sufficiency in all things. That ought to stir your heart some if you care about all things for God. God's not going to leave you. We could go to the other verses pertaining to life and godliness. He's given us everything. And so aren't you glad? Isn't it wonderful that we don't just have establishing grace and we don't just have educating grace where God tells you to do something and then leaves you powerless against it. God, what he expects out of you, provides for you and his grace. If God's told you to give, God will give you grace. <laughs> if God's told you uh, to, to quit smoking cigarettes, God will give you grace to quit doing it. And it'll take a lot of grace, won't it, Brother Nate? Did you smoke, Brother Reed, back in the day? I thought it was you. It was Brother Beard who was telling me about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was preaching. He said they'd be down there preaching and they'd have them rolled up in their sleeve. Anybody remember that back in the day? That was a, was that 50s or 60s or something way along in there? And uh, he said, I thought it would be one of the hardest things I ever done. But God gave him grace to do it. Isn't that wonderful? He said, that doesn't make me, that doesn't make me upset. Oh, you're a legalist. You quit smoking. That encourages me that, man, hey, if I, it, what I want to overcome, God's no respecter of persons. He'll give me grace to overcome it too. He doesn't love Brother Nathan more than me because he gave him grace to quit smoking and he's just leaving me to drown in it. God will give you the grace to do what he wants you to do. Now, wonderful. I don't have to do anything by my own power. God will give me the grace to sustain, to sustain me, to establish me, and to settle me. Will he not? Hallelujah for grace that enables us in this Christian life. So the grace that's teaching you to deny it, God's got grace to fulfill that teaching. That better encourage you some, because if he didn't, I don't, I don't, I don't think any of us would be able to do it. Do you? God will give you grace. So I can't do it, preacher. You can do it. God will give you grace. I know what it's like to feel like you're in a washing machine and you can't get out of it. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Or you're in a hole and you just can't get out of it. And it seems like you're doing all you can. It seems like you're praying just as much as you used to pray. You're reading your Bible just as much as you used to read it. And somehow it seems like the flesh is getting the better of you. Your, your mind's getting the better of you. You're getting more depressed. It seems like you're getting worse. I understand what that's like. And I offer no explanation as to why that happens to God's people sometimes. But it does. But I also know this. 
I know God's able to make all of grace to abound towards you that you may have oh listen it's, it, and it may feel that way it may feel that way but it's not that's not really the way that it is is that not what the saying goes it may feel like God's abandoned you but it certainly isn't that true right it's not true God didn't he will give you grace come boldly to the throne of grace keep praying keep praying it doesn't mean he's going to remove that thorn from you but there might be a bomb in Gilead he might snuggle up beside you and rub some ointment on it and, that, and you might even be like Paul. Say, you know what? I'm going to quit asking him to take it. Because if that's what I get for having it, I'd rather have him near me and experience that kind of uh, presence of God. And I'd rather have the thorn. Therefore, would I rather glory in my infirmities, he said. <laughs> Can you imagine? Some people, you're suffering. I know you're suffering. But the Lord's manifested presence towards you, it might be worth that suffering just to have him that close. You ever think about that? Boy, thank the Lord that he don't just expect this from the grace of God teaches you now good luck doing it. No, there's enabling grace to live the Christian life. Thank God for that. And so we get down through all these things to purifying unto himself a peculiar people that are no longer their own, but they're his people, right? Purchased from iniquity. And then these things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. And I'm, I'm done with this because I, I went back over all that. And I, I just, I, I, we'll start in chapter number three and verse number one and just be done. The, these next two verses still follow up with this matter of holiness in the faithful. And I don't like the chapter division there, uh, but um, I, it doesn't really matter. But it, so I think the thought is continuing on here. In verse number one, he says this. He said, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers, to obey magistrates, and to be ready to every good work. Boy, it's been, it's been long enough. I didn't even get to my message. Some of y'all wish you had a dime for every time I said that. Be rich, wouldn't you? Or we're done. We need, we need to be done. That, that's another one make you rich around here. So we'll finish these two thoughts. That thought continues on in these next two verses. Let's just read them together. I put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers to, to uh, join up with Antifa and demonstrate out in the streets and beat people and burn down buildings, right? That's, that's what we ought to do. I'd like to, I mean, I don't, I don't know this, and I'm not trying to make a race issue out of it, but I, I would like to see more of uh, black leaders Christian leaders standing up and exhorting them their people that this is not how any Christian should act, black or white. Black or white, there, there is no excuse. A Christian is not to act the way that these folks are acting, are they? The Bible said, so I'll tell you young people something. God established them powers on this earth and their terror, not unto the good works, but to the evil. And Romans 13. And so what we're supposed to do, y'all get pulled over by the law, going 16 to 55, and he comes to you and asks for a driver's license registration. Don't give me all this. Well, am I being detained? Am I being all the... What you need to do is just obey what that man's asking you to do. I ain't been shot yet. You know why? Because my daddy taught me a long time ago with anything he could find laying around to hit me with that I'm to put myself in subjection to those that have the rule over me. Yeah. 
And I'm not making it right for any kind of racist activity going on in either color. But I am saying this. I would exhort Christians to put them in mind to be subject to principalities and powers. Folks, that's the way we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be uh, obedient to lawful authorities everywhere on the earth and in everything that's not contrary to the Word of God. Right? Now, that's the attitude we should have. Tyler, when we're at home and I holler your name, what do you usually respond and say? Say it out loud. Say it loud. Yes, sir. What does that mean when you say yes, sir? I hadn't told you to do nothing. What does that mean? It means whatever you need me to do. Yes, sir. What, what, what's going on? What do I need to do? What, what do you need from me? Or what did I do? <laughs> Sometimes it can be that. But if I holler at him and I say, hey, Tyler. Now, I'm going to get silly. No, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to kill it. My dad used to holler my name. Let's just get straight here. When I holler your name and you say, Tyler, you say, sir, whatever. That's in subjection. That's his attitude. Right? His attitude is, yes, sir, what do you need done? And if I say, I need you to go outside and mow the yard, then you obey that, right? To be subject to them and then to be obedient to them, what they ask you to do, as long as it's not contrary to the Word of God, right? And then this last part, and we'll come here tonight. We won't do it tonight. Uh, so that's our attitude towards authority, but then our, our follow through with it is to be obedient to it. And then this last part, we'll pick up here tonight because I got a question I want to ask to all of us. To obey magistrates, and look at the last part of chapter 3 and verse 1. To be ready to every good work. And that was what was on my mind this morning. I've gone too long already, so we're going to stop. But when we come back here tonight, I want you to, I want you to be thinking today, if you would, to have this thought on your mind. Are you ready? That's a good question to ask. Say, so, well, yeah, preacher, I'm ready to die. That's not what I'm asking you. I hope you're ready to die. If you're not saved, you're not ready to die. You need to get born again. I'm not asking you if you're ready for the Lord to come. The glorious appearing, great God, our Savior. I'm not talking about that. I'm saying, are you ready to every good work? So what's in the way if you're not ready? By ready, that would be prepared. Are you prepared to do any good work that needs to be done? A lot of times we're not, are we? We're not ready. So I want to ask you as a Christian, because, see, come on, Brother Reed, get us a song. Stand to your feet. Uh, Why, if I start down that road, we just won't. I don't want to do that to you. We, we, listen, we don't, God's not exhorted us to be holy for sheer vanity. Most, most of us, here's what I fear about fundamentalism. Here's where we've come to in our fundamental churches. Our concentration has come solely upon ourself. And we're consumed with living holy. And listen, and I'm, not ta- I'm, I'm talking about, uh, I should say living righteously, okay? Uh, and we should be. To a degree, we should be. But there's a purpose behind what he's asking us to do in that grace in those preceding verses. You've got to be denying all the ungodly and living soberly and righteously and godly. And not so that you can just sit around and say, boy, look how good I'm doing. It's so that you can be ready to do good. 
It's the positive side of that. So we've got to put off all the bad that we can put on the good. And what we're doing is we're, we're, we're anymore, we're, we're finding a group of people that we, can, that we can snuggle up to three times a week and stay in the confines of the church and we can just be as holy and die as holy. And what I mean by that is uh, um, uh, sinfully acting, you know, righteously, I should say, I guess. We, we, we want to live as right as we can, but then we're absolutely unprofitable to the entire world. We're not doing anything good for them. Well, preacher, I give a check to missions. I doubt that's going to relieve all your responsibility at the judgment seat. Do you? Do I need a missionary to reach my neighbor and the people I work with? No, I don't. Right? See what I'm saying? So we need to be ready to every good work. And so we'll, we'll pick that back up tonight. It's been a good morning. I appreciate the Lord's presence and helping us. Lord, thank you for loving us. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for your presence this morning in the singing. Lord, it blessed my heart. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the folks that are gathered here this morning. I pray that especially if anybody's here lost without Jesus, Lord, they'd see him that it might be well with their soul and cast themselves wholly upon Jesus Christ. We love you. Forgive us where we fail you. In his name we pray. Amen and amen. All right, Brother Reed, what do we got? Is well.